Welcome to Antelope Road Christian Fellowship. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For service times or to join a disciple group, please visit myarcf.com. Hey, how's it going? Uh, my name is Conrad Carroll. I am the youth pastor here at Antelope Road Christian Fellowship, and I know pretty much all of you. It's great to see all your faces. Um, and for all of you who are uh, watching, who are not yet home, not yet here with us, uh, we're glad you're here joining. Um, yeah, there's, there's lots of people who are home for lots of different reasons, and uh, and it's just great. It's great that even when we're being apart, we can still be together, sing the same songs, um, and and be under the same teaching. It's it's a joy. I was just thinking about the. Uh, the coronavirus and the internet, like all the people who are watching online, they're here with us. And it just kind of like messes everything up. Um, you know, you can say like, oh yeah, I was there at church today. It's like, wait, were you really there? Or were you just like logging on to a Zoom meeting or a live stream? It's like, eh, it's kind of, it's the same thing, right? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's messing with my experience. I, I forget what's real or not. Um, but I have the joy today to move forward uh, in the series we're going through, which is the book of John. We're going sequentially through it. So, like, just to be clear, we're not skipping verses as we're going through that, which means that the preaching team is faced with uh, some messages that we would not have chosen to preach. Uh, we are going right in line, and all of a sudden we get to one that's like, uh, man, do I really got really to do this? But we're required to study and, and present. And this helps us to not simply uh, cherry pick out our 10 favorite passages and just preach those ones and that's it. Uh, it's really easy to do that. But when we're going straight through, we're reading some of Jesus's most difficult teachings. And today is one of them. And uh, you want to know how I know that today is one of them? Is because Jesus's disciples will see that his disciples say, man, this is a tough message. <laughs> Who can receive this? So when the disciples are saying that, we should probably be a little worried. <laughs> so um, I, I've, been, I've been studying, but I'm also a little, a little nervous, so forgive me. Um, but with that in mind, thinking that this is a, a hard message, who can receive it? It's extra important that we ask the Holy Spirit that he would uh, make our hearts soft, make our ears receptive to hear what he has to say, um, to put our agendas aside and, and to hear him. So I want to I wanna pray with you. Let's close our eyes. Let's pray. Lord God, you are so good, the giver of life and breath. Uh, Lord, we, we just worship you for who you are, God. I thank you that we can gather together with brothers and sisters, Lord. Um, God, I pray that today you would reveal yourself to us in, in, in a, to a greater depth, God, that we would know you more. Lord, and for those who are joining us who, who don't know you, who aren't sure what this whole thing is and are just trying to figure it out, God, I pray that you would, God, that you would speak, that you would make, uh, you would make listeners out of each one of us. God, because I know you're speaking. There's no doubt about that. But sometimes I just don't hear it because my ears are closed. So God, today, humble our hearts, Lord. Help us to all be students. Um, students of life, students of the word, students of you, God. Um, but God, thank you. Thank you so much that we are not just students who are studying some old book. But God, we are sons and daughters. We are your creation. We get to participate in the life that you have for us that is so much more than just 
paychecks and rent and telephone wires and and lord there is there is so much that you have for us god help us to see the truth and know you as the truth we love you lord we just want to give you all the glory in this time and always we pray all this in jesus name amen so we are in uh, John chapter 6. Oh, I have uh, some slides here. Let me make sure. Our, our message title today is Don't Miss It. Don't Miss It. We are in John chapter 6, verses 22 through 71. Now, uh, to be honest with, with you, one of my most eager goals today is to just read the passage with you. And you can see 22 through 71. It is a, it's a healthy chunk. It is a nice little... Scripture there. Um, so uh, so it's going to be important that you have uh, your Bible, get something following along. I'm going to, hey, yeah, we got a volunteer. So if you don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. Are we allowed to do this? I don't know. Oh. Ask for forgiveness, not permission. So if you need a Bible, you can raise your hand, and the man in the green shirt can, can help you with that. Uh, but it's a, it's a longer passage. It is packed full of some of Jesus' toughest teachings, um, it's going to be a little bit of work. It's going to be a little bit tough. Um, but I just, I just want to read it with you. But, you know, I feel kind of hopeful. We just sang the praises of God. We just, you know, participated in his body and blood. So I'm feeling like we're kind of energized. We can do this, right? And plus, service started at 10 today, not 9. So, so we should, should be feeling a little bit better about ourselves. Um, so I'm thinking we can do this. Um, and if you're at home, grab your Bible, uh, Google it. It's real easy, John 6, 22 through 71. And the reason why it's so important to, to read it uh, out loud, to read it all in, in one kind of go, th- this, um, this passage is mostly dialogue. And if you slow down a conversation too much, you kind of f- you forget what was said at the beginning when, when you're closer to the end. So I, I, I just want to get through the whole thing and... I'm going to try to do my best to not lose anyone, okay? We're, we're, we're in this together. We're in this together. Um, and for extra clarity, let's get that all-important context, right? I think the media alone recently can tell you that context is very, very important, knowing what's going on. But it's true in the Bible. Context is, is always very important. Plus, if you are contextless, then you will be a perplexed mess. So, chew on that one for a second. So... <laughs> Um, so let's, let's look at our setting. Um, we have a beautiful picture here of the Sea of Galilee. I put this picture in here. It doesn't necessarily help us understand a whole lot, but the Sea of Galilee is a real place. Look, there it is. I, I don't know about you, but uh, I was just thinking about this. Like, I know, I know uh, Highway 80. I know I-5. Um, and all of the places in between, I just assume there's absolutely nothing. And that's not true. <laughs> there's tons of really great stuff. Um, but, like, I, I think of think of Israel, I'm like, well, that's the Middle East, so it's just desert, right? It's not, not really true. There's actually, Israel is on one of the greatest pieces of land that has been fought over for, for centuries and millennia. Uh, but so there's the Sea of Galilee. It's a real place. There's trees, water. It's beautiful. Um, and, and now we'll look at a map. It's, it'll be a little easier to help us understand. But remember, um, Two weeks ago, Charles was talking about the feeding of the 5,000, um, and it's at that red dot right there in Bethsaida. And it's the feeding of the 5,000, but more like 20,000, 25,000. And then after that, Jesus sends his disciples across the sea in a boat to 
Capernaum, uh, but he stays on the shore. He stays there. He stays back to pray. Uh, And then this last week, Dennis, or also known for me as Dad, uh, he talked about Jesus walking on the water, and he met his disciples right about there, (laughs) somewhere in the middle. (laughs) Uh, He he met him walking on, on the water, and... Uh, but we have this issue where the, um, the crowd, they, they take refuge because there's probably a storm that happens that night, but they, they all shelter up. They go home. The crowd's dismissed, all that stuff. They wake up the next day. They know Jesus didn't go to the other side. They know he stayed back. Um, so they go to the shore, and they look for him, and they wait for him, and he's not there. They're like, where is this guy? What's going on? Some boats show up. And they're like, oh, cool, it's Jesus. And then it's not Jesus. And they're confused. Um, So they decide to go to look for him. They know that his disciples went across the sea to Capernaum. So they get in these boats and they go. And then they're still, they they find him and and they're confused. They're like, how did you, how did you get here? We're going to see that a little bit in our passage. But um, they, they, they go to a synagogue in Capernaum. So Jesus is teaching at the synagogue. And that's where the majority of this passage that we're going to read um, takes place. But their first question is just like, Jesus, how did you get here? Because your disciples went across in the boat. We knew there was only one boat, so you didn't go in a boat across. So they're thinking like, maybe he went across the, the north end of the lake and, you know, he walked and then crossed the Jordan. And if you've read the book of Joshua, you know that crossing the Jordan is super easy. It's like not a problem at all. <laughs> if you're the living God, uh, it's not a problem. But so they're, they're just confused. They're like, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so, so that, that is, that's kind of the background for our first question here. They're like, did he walk all night and swim across the Jordan River and then get to, to, to Capernaum? But we're going to unravel some more of this, but I'll just, I'll stop talking. I'll let the scripture do the talking. So let's read now together John chapter 6, verses 22 through 71. The next day, the day after the feeding of the 5,000, the next day the crowd that had stayed on the far shore, that eastern shore, saw that the disciples had taken the only boat, and they realized Jesus had not gone with them. Several boats from Tiberias landed near the place where Jesus had blessed the bread and the people had eaten. So when the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there, they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him. They found him on the other side of the lake and asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? And Jesus replied, I tell you the truth, you don't want to be with me because I fed you. And, and not because I, not because you understood the miraculous signs. But All right, sorry, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood the miraculous signs. I think I read that wrong, I'm sorry. Verse 27. But don't be concerned. Don't be so concerned about perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. And they replied, we want to perform God's works. What should we do? Jesus told them, this is the only work that God wants from you. Believe in the one that he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scripture says, Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses did not give you bread from heaven. My father did. Now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, give us that bread every day. 
Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them, for I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of all those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe in him should have eternal life. I will raise them up at the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he had said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? We know his father and mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus replied, stop complaining about what I said. For no one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness, but they all died. Anyone who eats bread from heaven, however, will not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever, and this bread, which I will offer so the world may live, is my flesh." Then the people began arguing about, to one another about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus again said, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise that person up at the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because the Father, the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate manna, but they will live forever. And he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. Many of his disciples said, This is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept this? And Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he, just said, he said to them, Does this offend you? Then what will you think if you see the Son of Man ascending to heaven again? The Spirit alone gives eternal life, and, and human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe, and he knew who would betray him. Then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the Father gives them to me. At this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? Simon Peter replied, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. We believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus said, I chose the 12 of you, but one is a devil. And he was speaking of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, one of the 12, who would later betray him. Whew. 
Uh, a quick note on Judas Iscariot. Uh, and <laughs> in February, my wife had her appendix removed because of like you know intense stomach pain. She's like, "What's going on?" We go, they, "It's it's appendicitis." And then we started our one body many parts series that we just finished a little go a little bit ago, and we kind of started to ask, "In the body of Christ, who's the appendix?" <laughs> our current guess is Judas. <laughs> Because, you know, you don't really know he's there. And then once you know that he's there, you're not sure why. And then, boom, suddenly it tries to kill you. (laughs) Anyhow, uh, back to our passage. There are... (laughs) I'm sorry. Oh, geez. There are a lot of notes that I took. I've been looking at some commentaries and some study tools, and it, this is a big passage. We just we read it. It's it's long. There's lots of details to point out, but we don't have time to dive into all of them. They're so fascinating. They're so cool. Um, but I'm just going to focus on a few. But I also really want to share them all with you. Okay, hold on. So I'm just going to rapid fire these at you real quick. Just just a few extra thoughts. So. In verse 26, uh, Brown says that Jesus is talking about the other bread, just like he talked about the other water with the Samaritan woman. In verse 27, Barclay talks about the seals. They're really important, you know, the clay and the, it's better than a signature. In verses 27 through 29, Jesus says work, but the disciples or the followers, they hear works. But Jesus is like, no, I said work. In verse 31, they talk about manna. We got a whole conversation about manna. In verse 34, they talk about what does it mean to eat the bread? And we kind of talked about, you know, it's the work and it's the law. And a guy named Stern talks about it in the Jewish New Testament commentary. In verses 37 through 39, uh, Brown points out that in, in the Greek, like it, it, he says all, and that, that means all of it, everything, but then Jesus, he takes care of each individual one, so he gets all, but he takes care of all, and, and it's not just the people who are willing to receive, but the people who are actually coming that are going to be raised on the last day. It talks about how Jesus uh, does divine work, but he also does human work. In verse 49, uh, Jesus says, your father is not my father's. That's kind of interesting. Verse 51, uh, it's the first time that Jesus ever mentions his sacrificial death. In verse 54, uh, Jesus says that, that you're going to have life when you believe, but your resurrection is going to happen on the last day. That's kind of interesting. Verse 41 or 61, uh, Jesus says, like, are you offended by my death? You're going to be offended by my resurrection, too. Uh, verse 70 and 71 is the first time the disciples are ever referred to as the 12. That's kind of interesting. Uh, Barclay says that without Jesus, there can be existence but not life. And then he also says we cheat ourselves when we refuse Christ. Okay, so those were some of the side notes. If you can hold on to any of those, uh, that would be maybe helpful. But we're going to key in on a couple other ones that I'll, I'll go through a little slower, just a time bit slower. Okay, now let's get to the main points. If you are coming to Jesus for food, then Jesus isn't your God. Food is. Because here's the thing, we have a lot of like religious people, lots of Jews, lots of people who are interested in who Jesus is. They know the Torah, they've been taught it their whole life, but they're just not getting it. They're hungry. They want food. And Jesus tells them straight up, he's like, look, you came here for food. That's it. You saw the miracles, but what you want is a full stomach. But he says, you need something more. There's something more. But every time Jesus tries to go to the deeper truth... They just keep bringing up food and asking about food. <laughs> like, he, they're like, oh, Jesus, how did you get here? He's like, look, you came here because you want food. And he's like, oh, yeah, we want food? Well, then you should give us food. And he's like, but, but I'm, I want to give you true food. They're like, oh, true food? Yeah, give us that food. Uh, you know, oh, you, you, you can do miraculous signs. Well, you know, one miraculous sign I know of is that Moses provided bread for all the Israelites. Can you do that? 
Which is a silly thing to say because he literally just provided tons of fresh for everyone the day before. These, these people, they're just really hungry. <laughs> but if you come to Jesus for food, then Jesus isn't your God. Food is. And I'll just real quickly just do that. If you come to Jesus for, then Jesus isn't your God. That is anything. Literally anything. And I stole this... <laughs> I stole this line, and I've used it a few times. It's from a, a, a Christian rapper named Shia Lin, and, and he says, Don't be deceived by this funny biz. If you come to Jesus for money, then he's not your God. Money is. And that's, that's my one rap for the day. I'm, I quit. But this is, this is just a, a problem that, that we have in, in the world in general, everywhere in the world, because there's things that we want, things that we need, and we see an opportunity for it to be provided for us, so we go to the source to try to get what we want. That just, like, I don't even think I said anything that's super offensive. It's just, that's just normal. It's like, yeah, if I want to get something, I'm going to go to the place where I can get it. So if Jesus provides food and I am hungry, let's go to Jesus for some food. <laughs> I need lunch. <laughs> but it's kind of like this. Um, you are going to the doctor, you have tons of symptoms, and you're asking for relief. Like, what's a good doctor going to do? Uh, you go to the doctor, you say, hey, doc, I'm not feeling so great. I've got these awful headaches. I've got a sore throat. I've got a crick in my back. I've got rashes on both my knees, and i got athlete's foot. And the doc's like, she says, whoa, we need to, we need to look into this. And you're like, no, no, doc, look, it's okay. Just fill my prescriptions. I just need, like, Tylenol, Tylenol Theraflu, Icy Hot, Cortisone, and Tough Actin, Tenactin. And she's like, no, I'm not, I'm not just going to throw Band-Aids on your symptoms. We need to get to the root. We need to get to the cause. We need to address the problem. That's what a good doctor is going to do. And Jesus is the good doctor. In fact, he's the great physician. And he desires that people would be whole, complete, fulfilled. I can't, I can't imagine... I can't help but imagine the frustrated, disappointed, and sad Jesus when he offers eternal life. And people are like, dude, just give me bread. All I want is bread. And when he keeps saying, no, no, no eternal life is what you need, they're just like, whatever. I, I'm out of here. If you're not going to feed me, I'm gone. I can't imagine how sad he must be. But he's not content to give a band-aid. But this is what happened in the wilderness. This is uh, the wilderness around Mount Sinai. Uh, so when I was talking about desert earlier in, uh, in Israel, there is some parts that, that have it. <clears throat> but William Gar Barclay one of the, uh, he wrote one of the commentaries that I was reading, and he made a note about how rabbis have this saying, or they had this saying, <clears throat> that said, the generation in the wilderness has no part in the life to come. That really got me thinking. I was like, whoa, no part in the life to come? Uh, because the people complained, and they got manna. It was, it was truly a miracle. If you look up anything in the Bible about manna, or if you Google manna, like, it'll only come up as a miracle. It's a great thing, awesome thing. Um, people had a need, God provided but when it came time for them to inherit the promised land that God was going to give them, they were afraid. 
and decided that it would be better to stay in the wilderness. They decided that they would rather, instead of inheriting all of the goodness that God has, oh, but there's giants over there. It's scary. I don't know if we can handle it. I, I, I just think we shouldn't do that. War? Uh, I don't know if we're suited for war. Let's not, let's not do that. Let's stay. And so then they wander around for 40 years eating manna. That wasn't the plan. The plan wasn't for them to eat manna for 40 years. The plan was for them to go into the, into the promised land and have giant clusters of grapes that they could eat all day and pomegranates and all this great stuff. Milk and honey. Not manna. Not just manna. This was a temporary thing. But then they're like, no, nah, the band-aid's fine. We'll, we'll just keep doing that thing. But they ate manna for 40 years until that entire generation died off so that the younger generation could be the ones that inherited the, the promised land. So when Jesus is having this discussion with the crowd, and they're like, you know what? Our, our fathers ate manna in heaven. Will you do something like that? And he says, no. Do you want to be like the fathers who wander around in the desert for 40 years eating manna? Is that what you want for your life? No, I'm not going to give you manna. I am true bread. Why would you want the band-aid? I, I can heal you. Jesus replies with a statement like, do you really want to be like the man-eaters who died in the wilderness because of their fear and stubbornness? Is that what you want? One of the crazy things about that statement um, that the, that the rabbis had, the, the saying that said the generation in the wilderness has no part in the life to come, it's not just talking about the promised land. It's talking about eternal life as well. And that's like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm not the judge to decide who goes into heaven or not. But, but they had this saying, saying oh, that, that declared that the, the that first generation, that they didn't enter into eternal life. Now, if you really know a lot about Jewish culture, please come up and correct me, because but, but that was, that, that's what I read. But it brings me to my next point here, that overflowing life is what Jesus is offering to those who will believe in him. Overflowing, and that's overflowing in two senses. Got a picture here. It's a classic image, right? My cup runneth over. Overflowing. And it's overflowing in two senses. Overflowing because I'm full all the time and things are just, it's just, ah, it's just great. There's so much. There's too much that I can't even handle it. But then also, look at that stream. That stream that is constantly filling, it up, filling up the glass. It's never ending. So overflowing life is abundant and joyful, but it's also eternal. So it's this great full life now and this eternal life forever. And I feel like the longer you walk in the Christian faith, you're like, yeah, they're the same thing. <laughs> eternal life is right now and it is full and it is good. Overflowing in, in two senses. And it's just, it's just joy. It's joy. That is what God wants. He wants to give us such fullness that we can't even contain the joy, despite the worst circumstances, despite separation and isolation, despite riots and looting, and, and every, despite all of that, there is joy to be had in the Lord.
But then uh, even those who followed him and were called disciples, they, they turned away. This is the tough part. This is the most difficult part. I don't think it's an accident that this is John 6.6.6, the verse that says, and many of his disciples turned away and no longer followed him. And I was teaching about this in youth a while ago, and it's like, how many is many? You know, if, if we have our crowd here and there's 35, 40 of us, um, how many people have to get up and leave until we say many people were upset with Conrad's message and left? <laughs> you know? <laughs> how, how many is many? Uh, yeah, I, I, more than half, maybe two-thirds, maybe, you know, maybe there's only 10% left, whatever. It, that sounds like a lot. I don't think many is like, oh, there was a few. And maybe that's just my assumptions, but many is substantial. And that hurts to think that people who called themselves Christ's followers, people who called themselves disciples that said, I will be under this man's tutelage until the day that I die, those people turned away and no longer followed him. And it's the case of uh, John Steingard. My dad mentioned that last week, talking about the lead singer of Hawk Nelson who who, uh, you know, stepped away from his faith and said, I, I don't believe in God anymore. If God is out there, I don't think he's the God that I was, ta- I was taught when I was growing up. And, and who, who, am I really a disciple? <laughs> am I really? And I'm not here to, to call anyone out and say, well, you know, you, I don't know if you're saved. Because I'm not the one who gets to do the saving. But I just want to—I I, want to do a little definition shift here. Hopefully, a perspective shift, because God's been doing this in my heart and my mind for the last few years, maybe. But when we turn away, sin abounds, right? You turn away, and all of a sudden, sin becomes my life and and what I want, and that—that's where I'd just like to take a moment to talk about what sin is. And and God's just been painting this picture for me of what sin is. And uh, it kind of, I think I have a picture. Yeah. It's like that. (laughs) For some of you who are parents, you're like, ooh, I know that. And for some of you who are kids, you're like, ooh, yep, (laughs) that's right now, actually. (laughs) Um, But when, I don't know, growing up, sin, sin felt like this list of stuff that you're not supposed to do. So just don't do that stuff and everything's gonna be great. If you avoid this list of stuff, then enter into paradise when, when you die. You know, like that, that's kind of what sin and heaven felt like. But heaven is the place where God rules. It is his presence. That is like, if I'm entering into heaven, it's because I, I love God and I want to draw near to him and I want to be with him. It's not just a grassy hill with beautiful stuff all around. You know, it's, it's the place that I want to be because it, it is his face that is the sun. Like, his presence is the radiance that sustains me. I, I, I don't need the grassy hill. If it's grassy, that's nice. I, I, I hope it is. But, like, that's not what's important. No, God is what is important there. And sin is a separation that happens between me and God. 
You know, like, it, I feel like this little kid, when, when they break the rules, they get in trouble, and it, ugh, it's terrible. Man, I, I don't get to have candy because I broke the rules. Um, but this is, this is actually, it's not a, just about breaking the rules. It's about a relationship between a mother and a daughter right here. A relationship between uh, our father and his children. And sin is something that happens that causes a rift, that causes a gap, a separation. Because, like, right there, they're in the same room. They're probably, I don't know, eight, ten feet away from each other. So they're close, but they're not close at all. They're physically near, but emotionally they are so distant. They are so torn apart because of something that happened. And uh, I, I use an example of, of myself um, as, as an adult child still living at home. Uh, I don't anymore. I'm married and I moved out, so praise God for that. But, <laughs> but, but uh, when I was still an adult child working at Jamba Juice and, and living at home, I, it's like if my dad told me to mow the lawn and I forgot, and then I go and I work a closing shift at Jamba Juice, I come home, it's like 10 o'clock and... And I walk inside, my dad's watching the Giants game, and I come inside to sit down next to him. I'm like, hey, Dad, how's it going? He's like, did you see the lawn? I'm like, no. He's like, you forgot to mow it. I'm like, oh, I'll go mow it right now. He's like, no, no, it's too dark. It's too dark. You can't mow it right now. I was like, okay, I'll take care of it tomorrow. Okay. Can I watch the game with you? You know, like, I could. I could sit there, but it would just be awkward and... And painful, and, and even though I could like literally be sitting on the couch right next to him, there's this discomfort that ah, I just don't feel close. And you know, then it can get worse, and the sin can get greater and greater. The distance can get greater and greater. That just says, I don't even want to be in the same house as you. I don't even think I want to be on the same continent as you anymore. I'm moving away. I I just don't want anything to do with you. That can be the sin that happens. And Jesus Christ dies for our sin. He dies so that that gap can be closed, so that we can be near to him. He creates that opportunity for us to enter right into the living room with God, snuggle up with him right on the couch and say, Dad, I love you. I love you. And yet sometimes we still choose to walk away. We still choose to say, I'm just not interested. The couch looks great. The game, I'm sure it's going to be a good one, but I don't want to be there with you. But if we really love God, then sin would just be the worst thing. If I really love my dad, then that awkwardness and, and the, the just like shivers that I get thinking about it, like that is the worst feeling. I don't want to not be able to sit with you on the lawn just because I didn't, or I sit with you on the couch just because I didn't mow the lawn. Like I don't want it to be something stupid like that. I just want to be near to you. So whatever it takes, whatever it takes, I'll, I'll do I just want to be near. Like, if we have that kind of love for our Father, then, then yeah, sin, sin happens. I, I, I do things that, like, oh, I just, I took the wrong step. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm back. You know, things still happen, but if we're, if we're striving to be near to Him, then sin, it's not just this list of stuff that we shouldn't do, but it's, like, this very detestable thing that's, like, no, I, I don't want distance between me and my Father. And so I might argue here that, that disciples, if they really love the Father, would not willingly take steps away from him. 
And, and again, sin happens. We, we, we get distracted. We get caught up in the world. We somehow forget that God is the sovereign one who created everything. And, and we get caught up in, in different things. And, but, but when we come to, when we realize, you know, what's our course of action? Do I feel like, oh, I'm too estranged. It's just too much now. I, I'm, I'm gone. Or do we draw near knowing that he forgives us, that he loves us, that he is willing to pay whatever price to close the gap, to close the separation, so we might be able to be near. And so these disciples, they were called disciples, but I wonder if they ever really were. I think, I think that we have trouble with God when we have expectations of who he should be, and then when he does something that's outside of our expectations, we feel like he changed, and like, oh, well, that's not the God I came to serve. But that's not really what happened at all. We just had a wrong perspective of who he should be. True disciples, true children who love their father, it's a love that's undying. It's a love that says that, honestly, you might do things that I don't like, but I love you. It's a love that says, you're going to tell me to do things that seem, uh, you're going to tell me to not do things that seem fun to me, um, and that's okay. I love you, and I want to be near. <sighs> Even those who followed him were call- and were called disciples turned away. So I just want to challenge you that if you're a guest today, I want to ask you, like, do you have a desire to really know God, to be near to him? Because I'm telling you, um, we are... Unless you're, unless you're Jewish by descent, you were not originally in the family of God. But Jesus died to welcome us in. He died for many reasons. He died to cover our sin, to, to allow us to be near, to, to pay the price for us. But he also died so that there was this invitation of adoption to those who were not children. And you are welcome in the family of God. And the question is, will will you receive that invitation? And if you have that desire, pray. Pray for God to reveal himself to you. Because you don't don't want just the outward appearance of religion. Um, don't, Don't do that. Know God himself and draw near to him as, as his son, as his daughter. And if you already know God as your father, if you already are a Christian, then I I just want to challenge you to take some time in prayer to ask God to restructure your heart's priorities. Because if I truly love him, and I truly want to serve, and I truly want to chase after him with everything, if I don't want there to be any gap between us, then I've got to listen to the one who knows what's going to cause gaps. So, So God, would you help me Just remove any little separation, any little bit of sin. God, I don't want that stuff anymore. That's just not interesting to me anymore. God, because you are. You are eternally interesting. You are eternally joyful and loving and forgiving and kind. And that is what I want. And I want to be moved to do what you call me to do. Not what my anger and frustration call me to do. Like If I'm angry and frustrated, I want it to be because you caused me to be. I want it to be righteous because the Lord is inspiring me. And I want my love to be the same way. 
And it doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian, there's always room for tweaking and adjusting. And, and so I want to invite you to, to spend time in prayer today. Spend time asking God, how can I be near to you? How can I just get rid of the things that are distracting me? Help me, Lord. How crazy that we love a God, that, that the way that we draw near to him is with his help. That like, God, I want to serve you, but I can't. Would you inspire me by your spirit? Would you move me by your spirit to be able to serve you? God, I want to draw near to you, but I can't. Lord, but you sent your son so that I could. And what does God have in store for you today? And that's a, that's a question that I can't answer, but, but he will. He will if you draw near in prayer. So I'm going to pray for us and dismiss us, but... And what a day we could have if we would lean into him. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are the true bread that comes down from heaven, that sustains, that fills. Lord, that is not just a meal that I'll get hungry again. (laughs) But God, you are the true sustainer. Thank you, Lord. Lord, would you... Help us to trust you to be our entire fulfillment, Lord. And for, for those of us who are still trying to figure things out, God, would you um, just speak in a mighty way? Would you reveal yourself? Would you help us to see the truth of who you are? God, help us to not buy into the lies that are all around us, telling us what the purpose of life is. But God, you are the purpose of life. We thank you, Lord. So, Lord, send us out from here today to accomplish your will, to love one another, um, to invite other people into the family, Lord. Use us. Inspire us by your spirit, God. We love you. We want to glorify you with our lives. And we don't want church to be um, the the hour that we spend on Sundays. But, God, we want it to be uh, a family, a body of Christ that acts every hour of every day of every week, God. So we love you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great Sunday. We will see you next time.